Hey guys, uh, you are listening to Mandatory Wellness Session, and we'll, we'll get into the music and the intro, all of that, in a few seconds. So Samir and I did kind of an oopsie here, and uh, we ended up being like super topical on this episode. And we were talking about it, and we just decided to switch things up a little bit. So to be clear, that was not our goal going into it, and you'll see that. Our topic is not really topical at all. It's like the vaguest topic possible. Uh, and could be done at any time during the podcast's run. But at some point, we got into a topic that could have been published late, but really will make a lot more sense if it's published on time. And so we decided to switch up our order a little bit. So this episode uh, will be episode 13, but episode 14 and uh, 15 will be recorded before this episode. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Welcome to your mandatory wellness session. I'm your host, Anoop. And I'm your other host, Samir. Samir, how is it going? <laughs> Got me again. <laughs> I know, I'm always with these surprise questions every it's single true. week. I, man, yeah. I never, I never expected. How, oh, yeah. God. I'm never prepared. You know, it's funny. We, we've been doing these Zoom social hours with applicants uh, for interviews, and we'll kind of go around and say like, oh, where we're from, where we went to med school, an interesting fact about ourselves. The first time I used the fact, you know, I did uh, improv and uh, stand-up in undergrad and a little bit of med school. And then the second time it came around, I was like, oh, damn it, I didn't think of a good second fun fact. I'll use the same thing. And then every time since, I always forget to think of a fun fact ahead of time, and I have to keep using the same one. And I'm like apologizing to my co-residents. I'm like, sorry, this is the same fact. Once again, I'm not that fun. So yeah. It's important to remember that most people only have one fun fact. It's true. Well, no, because some of my co-residents had like a bunch of fun facts. I was like, damn it. And I'm sure I could come up with them. It just takes like a little bit of thinking ahead of time. You know what I did? Uh, I just stopped asking. You know what? They're there to ask me questions. I'm not. I, I don't care. Yeah. A strange thing that also happens, especially me and, and, and one of my co-residents, who's, who's a very good friend of mine, I feel like we always, someone will say something and we will ask them more about it. We're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like, tell me more about that. But we only do it for like some of the people who say stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to make it seem like I only care about these people and not this other person. But I'm also like, how much is, I mean, how much are you going to read into this? But I feel kind of bad because then we're like delving into some random, and it's always weirdly specific things. Like, it won't be like this crazy thing, like, oh, my God, like, I went to the moon. I mean, that I would ask about. But it's like, if they were like, oh, I um, climb a lot of mountain and, mountains and I climbed Kilimanjaro like last year, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But then it's like something weird. It's like, I spoke Spanish for the first time yesterday and. I had to like translate it. Like, it's like some weird scenario. And I'd be like, oh, huh, that is interesting. But it's like, actually, I don't know. I feel like one of them is more the objective, interesting thing, which is like, I climb mountains all the time. And one of them is this weird slice of life fact that I'm like fascinated by for whatever reason. Well, if I could get meta about it, I guess we are kind of inundated with interesting things about people. Like you could watch any show on Netflix. You could you could watch whole documentaries about people climbing Kilimanjaro. But like those super niche slice of life things, you don't actually get that much exposure to them. And that's the reason. It's, it's something super weird. It's like, oh yeah, like really random. Earlier today, I had to take apart my lamp and I uh, replaced like one of the wires or something. I'd be like, excuse me? <laughs> Discuss? 
Because um, we have a lot of broken lamps at this program. And right, we sound right. like That's, the right guy for our, it. I mean, people always ask, like, what's one thing you would like to change about your program? And I I don't say it because you know, I don't want to make too much too fine a point of it. But if I were being honest, I, I wish we had better lamps. I do. Yeah. And, and the thing is, your program, it keeps coming up on the ACGME surveys. So <laughs> I don't know why they haven't fixed it. <laughs> it does. They're like, duty hours, you guys are nailing it. Like, overall happiness, wellness, killing it. Lamps, though, poor. I don't know what's going on. The, like it's and the weird part is the ACGME survey doesn't even have a question about lamps. I mean, should they? Almost certainly. But that's always the write-in for us. Everyone <laughs> writes it in consistently. Right, right. And you just came off of maybe like two years ago a lamp-based probation. Right. And it's then great. you're it's already true. back to your old habits. It's like right. you know that okay. second time they're not going to put you back on probation. They're going <laughs> to say like this is a pattern now. Right. Yeah. This is de- like program death penalty. Right. <laughs> For for lamps, right? For I mean, lamps. they train they train amazing urologists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a great program. But the lamp, I mean, of all the things to get you, right? Lamps, but hey, lamps matter. They do. One thing that uh, we have kind of related to our self deprecating humor discussion. A lot of my humor is lamp based. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because you feel self conscious about the lamps, and so you don't. You know, if somebody else mentions it first, you lose the power there. So you bring it up. And that's you control the situation. And then it's always weird when you like you make a joke and then somebody else makes a joke about your lamp and you're like, hey, it's like, hey that's hey, not cool. You, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is my lamp. And that's, you know, we have that closeness. But like, you can't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm turning it on and off every day. You're not. You're just. <laughs> just some stranger coming up here and insulting my lamp. And that's it's actually great during these interview socials to get that sense of people like. You know, there's that person who gets a little too comfortable too quickly. And, right. you know, they're make, they start making lamp jokes and you're like, hey, man, like, already I can see that you're the type of person who might be, like, making professionalism issues. Right, right. I'm not a super hierarchical person, but, you know, there there is an importance to having, you know, some general respect and kind of understanding the, you know, the basic structure of how a workplace works. And uh, mm-hmm. I think just tossing out lamp jokes you yeah. know, within a few minutes of uh, meeting us is... Um, I, like, I get what you're trying to do, but it's it's almost a little offensive. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I I, Samir, I feel a little weird getting into the topic so quickly, but like, since we're already on the topic today, we, today we're talking about lamps and <laughs> we how are. it affects <laughs> residency wellness. It, it honestly came up very naturally. And, you know, well, and, and what I would say, you know, I, I'm curious from a radiology perspective, um, how do lamps affect you? Because I imagine you're, you're in the dark, though. So, like, are lamps kind of an issue for you guys, or is it not really... You know, mostly they're just place where where we hang things now. Oh, you know, I see. like you, you stick a picture on there because it used to be the light box was a very integral part. That this is just true. I know that we were doing a bit, but this is actually just a true <laughs> fact. <laughs> well, at some point, I was going to be like, "How long are we going to keep this lamp bit going?" But I'm glad this is where it ends. Uh, yeah, it's very funny actually to see that every reading room will have like a light box, and it's usually like plastered in taped up pieces of paper for like guidelines or that's where we hang the like resident class you know how they send out those big sheets that have everybody's headshot on them that thing will hang it there so that you kind of know who you're talking to and stuff like that it's it's never it's not used for light boxes anymore it's interesting you actually mentioned that as well so at one of our one of our sites so when we're in the or and you know we're let's say doing like a ureteroscopy and we also have some fluoro up as well you want to be able to like see those things Right, because you're looking at imaging, right? You're literally looking at imaging in the OR live, and so when it's really bright in the OR, you can't, like, see shit. So you want to be able to have it dark, but if it's too dark, you can't see anything you're working on, like, in this person's, like, urethra. Like, you're trying to, like, feed something in. It's, like, hard to see. And so one of our sites, actually, one of the attendees has figured out this optimal situation. There is, for some reason, in this OR, like, an old light box. 
And so he turns off the lights and turns the light box on. And that's like, a, it's like the perfect amount of light. That actually happens a lot <laughs> for us as well. Where it's like uh, in conference rooms, we turn off the lights to do PowerPoint presentations, but then we turn on the light box so people can see their food. So they're eating during lunch. They're not blind. <laughs> it is very common. Yeah, and in the IR suite, you know, when we're trying to see some fine detail, we'll turn off the light. And I, when I'm solo scrubbed, I will often make the joke that, like, we need to set up mood lighting, which is probably not a joke you should make while your patients are awake. <laughs> okay, I, I guess we don't do while the patients are awake, but our attendings will routinely refer to kind of, like, dimming the lights and only having one light on as, like, mood lighting. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's funny. It is funny. It is, it's, it's totally funny. It's totally funny. Also, a thing I say every time when we turn, when someone's like, oh, like, let's get mood lighting, and then they turn off all the lights, I say, oh, man, now it's urology after dark. I I have definitely been known to say after dark once or twice as well. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, we work in, like, pretty much darkness. Uh, we've set up these Christmas lights in our, one of our reading rooms, and they're LED Christmas lights, and they're a little too directional. So every once in a while, you'll be like reading a film and you'll adjust a little bit and get caught in the eye by like a green light. And yeah, it's not it's not the best, but it is very festive. I was doing some of our interview things from one of those reading rooms and I was with other people. So I didn't want to turn the lights back on while they were still reading. And so I'm just sitting there with like Christmas lights in the dark behind me while I was doing one of these interview socials. It was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I stopped asking about the fun facts because I was just like, with seven, eight people, whatever it might be in one of these small groups, you spend like half the time they have to ask questions on fun facts. And then... So that's a good point. Part of the reason I think it's worthwhile to do just to kind of try to foster some more conversation is that I feel like they get so much time to ask questions that... And then so we'll, we'll do that and we, we kind of like did breakout rooms. And so like, I think like there's something a little bit like try to create some sort of facsimile of what the social hour was historically. And right. then, you know, and then during the day, during their interview, in between interviews, they're in this main, like, candidate lounge room, and then other residents will be on that Zoom as well, so they can ask questions. And then, literally, of course, at the end of every single interview, they're like, oh, what questions do you have? And there's also a resident interview for us, so like, you can, literally, that is for asking specific, like, questions during, like, an interview setting. So, I feel like they have so many opportunities to ask questions that I feel like the extra, like, 15 minutes or so just to kind of, like, go around and introduce everybody and, like, get some fun facts is it feels worth it to me but I, that's that's reasonable I, maybe if you have a little less time to ask questions yeah well certainly if they were out of questions then i was happy to go like just talk about casual things it's funny because a lot of the questions i used to ask when we were done with talking about the program were like oh like are you planning a vacation for the rest of your fourth year what are your plans for fourth year all gone nothing fun fun is illegal <laughs> I, I like semi started asking a person that and then I, like, realized, and I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oops. My bad. But then I think they were doing, like, something that was, like, more, like, COVID-compliant, basically. So they, they, yeah. had, they, they had some interesting plans. Yeah, actually, a lot of people are, like, going on road trips and stuff, things that they could do within the country. Going to, like, a cabin in the mountains or something with some friends. Oh, yeah, another thing. Maybe I mentioned this before. Because of Zoom, right? So on Zoom or these various um, video conferencing platforms, it's, it's like a thing where you, like, wave goodbye when you sign off and i think that's because it's like you need some like it, it feels very unnatural to not have a body language cue for saying bye whereas like normally if it's like in person you're like oh i'm gonna leave and you like get you stand up right like that's that's a, that's like the cue we're used to and so we need to do something the other day i hauled into a zoom and uh i, I was driving and then the, the meeting time started so I, I just called in on my phone and then we finished the zoom and i waved by at my phone which to be, to be clear was not on video 
It was just a telephone. And I was like, I'm a very stupid person. <laughs> That's a very interesting body language cue. I'll give you that one. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, all right. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think the new goodbye is just a subtle shift of the eyes to the corner of your screen where it says leave me, Dave. Leave, yeah. That's, yes. Yeah. That is, that is, that is for sure the move. Yeah. We're going to start doing that in person now. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. oh, look at the break time. eye contact and then disappear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, you you bolt out of the table, run full speed away from the person you're talking to. It is interesting, though. I mean, obviously, we're talking about all these different things with COVID and kind of the implementation of doing more like these Zoom or, or what have you. And I am curious how much I think we've probably talked about how much of it's going to persist once we have things like people are vaccinated and, you know, the disease is less prevalent. And are we going to be going back to a lot more in-person meetings? How much are they going to still stay remote? Like, I, I think there are definitely advantages to the remote, right? It's just convenient, but it's also kind of, it also kind of sucks sometimes. So I don't, I don't know. I hope we keep a lot of remote stuff. I think it's wildly more convenient than meeting in person a lot of the time. And I hope it sticks around for the foreseeable future. I have a strong sense that interviews will switch back to being in person. Largely, I think, due to the metagame of interviews. From what I'm hearing, there's a lot more interview hoarding going on now because it is so easy to do a video interview oh, relative to traveling that for. That is a really good point. Right. Because if you have back-to-back interviews and one of them's in New York and one of them's in California, that's like super impractical, maybe historically. But now, I mean, it's the same. Exactly. Huh. So That's a really good point. There's much more interview hoarding going on to the point where... Yeah, it sucks. You don't want that. I believe... Several, like the AMA and several other organizations have released statements on it and are telling people to like either release interviews that they had or, or give interviews to more diverse people. Yeah, it's just beyond the fact that it's like unnecessary. And I mean, obviously, I, I get it. You know, I interviewed for a competitive specialty and I, I think I, in hindsight, maybe I interviewed probably for slightly more than I probably should have, although that was partly due to the order I got them in. And so I still understand the paranoia associated with it. But I think there is a point at which it's like totally impractical. And I definitely, I mean, there definitely were interviews I did not go to and I kind of did turn down for that reason. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, like beyond the fact that it, I think that's kind of like shitty to do to your co-applicants, it's also like not a way to have an efficient match. Like if you do that, you will just have unfilled spots and then it turns into kind of like a cluster that people are going to get spots that are not really based on like any particular metric. It might kind of be like by luck at that point. Exactly. Which is exactly. just not, I mean, that's just kind of, it's just, it's just not fair. And so I think a lot of programs have cranked up their numbers for the applicants that they're taking. Not the number of applicants, but rather the step one scores, things like that. They're, they're taking a higher caliber of applicants because they're getting more applications. What I am interested to see this year is I suspect there will be quite a larger number of people soaping into programs. That's a really interesting, yeah, I, I hadn't considered the reason for that, but I, I think that like is intrinsically logical. I'm, I'm really curious to see if that's borne out, actually. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be fascinating. I mean, this is a great like kind of social experiment we're doing here. I want to be clear. We're like, oh, fascinating. What an interesting, that's like shitty. That's bad. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, this, is, absolutely. this is awful. And like, I mean, this, I, I have, I've mean, i had some friends who've had to soap and it's a really uh, traumatic and terrible process. Would not recommend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a... There's somewhere out there, there's a podcast about us talking about that, but it's gone. Gone to the ages. Um, it's fascinating from a out, very like clinical outsider observer sort of thing. It's terrible for the people who have to deal with it. And I, I feel really bad for med students who are going through this. I think there are good things about the online interviews, but people have to learn to be better to each other. And that is not like a baseline trait in medicine a lot of the time. 
Because I, I know people who hoarded interviews, and usually it comes from a pathological place where they perceive that they're not going to match. And I'm like, you have 20 interviews. Your specialty needs, like, has a number to match of four. Why right. do you, why are you doing this? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I mean, I think, um, what of course is tricky then, right? This process is actually a total vicious cycle though, right? Because if you know that people are hoarding interviews, um, then if anything, you, you feel like you should be, if I'm thinking about this correctly, you should be doing it as well because, well, maybe not. I'm trying to think if that makes sense. Because I'm thinking if people are hoarding interviews, then I guess... Well, no, in that case, then programs... Mm, actually, ignore what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I see what your thought process is. But once you have the interview, it's different. It's like the math changes once you already have the interview. It's just there are people who are not getting interviews because more qualified applicants are holding those interviews, even though likely those programs will be so far down on their list that they will not go there so then those low so it hurts the programs that are more middle of the tier and it hurts applicants who are more middle of the road as well and and obviously lower level applicants and lower level programs as well but a lot of those programs already have systems in place by which they deal with the fact that they are not a competitive program sure and, you know, a lot of those applicants who are very, very low level, maybe were already planning on soaping or, you know, in the if the cosmic balance of the universe, they probably were going to soap anyways. So it's really the people in the middle who are getting screwed as the interviews all shift to these higher level applicants. Sure, that makes sense. Tricky. Yeah. Yeah, it's very tricky. This could be an entire podcast. And I feel like we probably shouldn't dive too deep. I think something we've discussed before, which is that there probably need to be limits on both the number of places you can apply and probably the number of interviews you can take. Um, is probably the actual solution. Yeah. But unfortunately, this is a resident wellness podcast, and we don't care about medical students. So <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. I, I, as with all wellness, um, you only care about your level and above. And yeah, exactly. Not, and mostly your own level, even above, hard to say. <laughs> no, but I mean, of course, honestly, this stuff is actually very important to medical student wellness, without a question. I think something that we discussed actually um, in medical school, and obviously we discussed it on a previous podcast we may or may not have had, and uh, also thing we've discussed now, and I think has come up actually... Um, when we've had these like little like Zoom hangouts with, with with groups of friends, is a concept that I think you you pioneered. If if I am if I remember this correctly, I mean I, maybe you weren't the first person to ever invent this, but I think at least within our friend group, you're the person who brought it up. Uh, yes, yes. So we'll we'll transition to our topic of the week, and it actually does kind of work because it is something we came up with in medical school. Uh, yeah. Initially during I believe third year of medical school, if I want to narrow it down, and it's this topic that came up with. Um, during a friend's dinner parties to set to set the stage of this story. Wait, I, I'm sorry, I'm 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 confused. Sorry, what's a what's a dinner party? <laughs> yeah, this is a thing. This is sort of a prehistoric, or not prehistoric, but sort of ancient history. Uh, these things, sort of distant civilizations, used to do. Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah, okay. uh, it, it's sort of a strange behavior. Now you kind of wonder how they were able to pull this off, but they used to get together with groups of people. What, was that sort of like a sacrificial rite kind of thing? Like, because they know like someone's going to die, like that kind of thing? Like, what's the... You would think, but here's the crazy thing. And people are still trying to figure this out. A very low fatality rate. Really? Yeah. And get this. None of them were wearing masks. Okay, well, I mean, Bonker. that just... Uh, that... It sounds dangerous. It sounds yeah, I mean, dangerous. It, it doesn't even sound like this could be a thing on... Are you, like, like, this is a thing on Earth. Yeah. Presumably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you watch History Channel, you watch the show Ancient Aliens, they do have, like, theories as to how this practice developed. Sure, right, okay, yeah. But yeah, so these people used to get together without masks, and then they would 
all eat food and usually the food was like kind of communal so it was like they were all sharing food it was very weird it was very all right weird. okay well let's uh, okay this uh, this is completely absurd but continue yes yes so obviously it's kind of a fictional story i guess a high <laughs> fantasy concept right right sort of a sort of an apocryphal origin <laughs> yes exactly so <laughs> during our third year of medical school, we had one of our friends, uh, he went to do an MD-PhD, uh, and he took it upon himself to hold, host a dinner party almost every week. Uh, essentially, he would make food and say, like, you guys can come over after whatever rotation you're on. I also want to be clear, um, his now wife at that time um, was, I guess, his girlfriend, or maybe, I'm not sure exactly when they got engaged, uh, also a medical student. I want to be clear, she was also heavily involved in the hosting and cooking of food and i feel like if anyone listens to this and we don't mention this we're just terrible people sure yeah, yeah she's like an amazing cook and an amazing host this is very important it's it's important to say that the food was very good and that was a team effort of the couple i'll say the couple hosted the yes the dinner parties uh, and then and then we would like bring some stuff i often like bring beer etc but like yeah sorry continue it just i want to be clear that she was very involved i like, yes, can't exactly. not i us. often brought my charming presence and very little else <laughs> that's neither here nor there so you're having these these dinner parties very frequently and as uh, med students are oft want to do and residents uh it would often just be like complaining about whatever rotation that we're on and things could very quickly devolve into sort of a enumeration of various uh slights against you for the whole grievances and an airing of grievances to to co-op exactly. to co-op a term from seinfeld relevant to this time of year yes yes it would essentially be that for hours on end so at the time i came up with this idea that we should all just try to have to list one good thing that has happened to us within the most recent week two weeks whatever it might be just just one good thing to kind of break up the monotony of grievances essentially so what we would do, what ultimately happened with this is we would kind of go around the room and everybody would just be like, hey, what's one good thing that happened to you this week? You know, initially it was just like, I forget what it was. We were all just miserable about something. And I was like, come on, we, we could just do just one good thing. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, you open this up by saying we're in third year med school. That's a baseline. Yes. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Take it as a given. That's in your, your given column. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is an axiom. We were miserable about something or other. <laughs> So we would go around the room and just say, like, one good thing that had happened to us in the last week or two. And this is the thing that we do even now, actually. Uh, you know, even on our Zoom calls now, we'll, we'll take some time and everybody will just talk about good things that are happening with them. And much like the fun fact question during interview season, it would often spiral off into conversations about something good happening or you know, just being excited for each other. Uh, and oftentimes people would struggle to think of things. So I always made a point of saying the bar was incredibly low. I was going to mention that, that is actually key to this. Because if your bar is like, oh, I like ran a marathon and I've been meaning to do that for 10 years, like that is good and that's fantastic. But like n no one else has that. So like, right, that's not, that is not the bar. The bar is like just something, just anything really. <laughs> Right, right. It it almost is born of a desperation. I, actually, it is 100% born of a desperation. <laughs> Let me put it that as, way. As with many good ideas. Yes. It is about expressing some sort of gratitude for something good happening in your life. And so the bar could be... It ha it could be lower than something you would even post on Instagram. Like, just, just one little thing. Like, I got out early from work one day and I was able to do a thing outside of work. As easy as that. 
And over the years, it stuck around. And I think it really resonated with people in the group in a way that I think people still enjoy it today. Yeah, it had some fun offshoots. Well, not offshoots per se, but like some like fun uses where people will deliver like truly momentous life news during this. And we're like, what? <laughs> like people are like, oh yeah, I got engaged. And we're like, wait, I, I'm, excuse me? <laughs> uh, um, which is very funny and super enjoyable. And then we can talk about that for however long. Um, but yeah, it, I think what strikes me about it is the immediate flavor, I think, is something that I that I think I, you, and I think many people might scorn at, which is this sort of like kumbaya, like wellness, like, oh, like let's discuss like happy things vibe. And um, and the immediate reaction is one of like kind of mild cynicism, at, at least I think it could be. And I, I think what's really nice about it is one, I, I think the key is setting that bar low so that you can sort of have a baseline appreciation of just sort of day-to-day things. And then I think too, that in the context of our default conversations, a lot of time being these airing of grievances, I think the tonal shift is actually very valuable. I think something we actually might have touched on last episode, which is that I am someone where if I'm around a lot of negativity all the time, it very much just, and this applies to a lot of people, it very much affects my mood as well. And um, I, I think while very fun to, and I want to be clear, I, I, I to this day, I enjoy airing of grievances. Uh, it's very, very key to my life. But if that's all the time, um, I feel like you can leave these hangouts not necessarily feeling more energized. And that's kind of the point of them, I feel like. So I thought it wasn't that it was super valuable. Yeah, and it's something that is really easy to do, but creates a pretty marked shift in the conversation. And it's funny because it would usually be towards the end of the evening and, and largely would end up like extending conversations much longer than I think they would have normally gone because normally at the start of the conversation i feel like a lot of people would be kind of burnt from complaining and and this could really salvage somebody's energy levels by like introducing a little bit of positivity the other thing i really like about it is it, it avoids some of that toxic positivity that we talked about by setting the stakes so very low that it doesn't have to be anything particularly remarkable. Like I think running a marathon is that is a perfect example of the toxic positivity answer where it's like, Oh yeah, I ran a marathon, pounded out a marathon. It was awesome. It was great. It's like, and you make everybody else feel shitty about themselves because you did. I do want to be clear though. I mean, if you run, I mean, good, good, good for you. I mean, this is, I I don't want to like shit on you for running a marathon. Like that's very good. That's awesome. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's great. It's great, but it could easily be that version of it where it's like, it's so far out of the range for most people that they they don't even feel like that's a thing they could do anytime soon, particularly during medical school, third and fourth year. It's not exactly a time where you're like trying new things unless you like started a podcast where you specifically tried new things. But who would ever do that? That'd, That'd be, be crazy. crazy. That'd be crazy to do for sure. Yeah. So that's something that I think, as, I, as we mentioned, it's something we do to this day. And I feel like it only feels natural. Anoop, what's one good thing that's happened to you recently? Oh, man. It's always so hard to answer, too. It is. And the funny part is you you knew it was coming. (laughs) Yeah, you know it's coming, and you could be sitting in that circle being like, oh, it's coming to me, and I still don't know what to say when it comes through. Uh, Sometimes you just default to talking about the things that have already been happening to you that everybody already knows about. Let's see. Oh, I just got a really dope 
birthday slash Christmas gift this week. Uh, this is super nerdy, but fuck it, who cares? Uh, I got the leather-bound copy of The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Oh, that's cool. That's really it's cool. It's so nice. It's very, very pretty. And I've only ever listened to them, and the book has, like, tons of artwork in it. So I've literally just re-listened to the book, and I might reread it just to look at all the artwork, like, as I go through it. I feel like naturally leather-bound audiobook would have been the way to go. You know, you think like that, auditory right? leather, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I've been working on that. You know, I've been talking to the boys down in R&D as like, how do we buy this audiobook in leather? And they're like, well, sir, the problem is that one of these is data and the other <laughs> is the hide of an animal. And so they don't they don't mix necessarily. Uh, what we did was we, we put a leather case on my phone. But what I found is it didn't really translate to the audio. I see. I see. Yeah. I, it honestly feels like you need new R&D guys. That's what I'm saying. So th- this is what I say. This is, this is actually the importance of diversity in the workplace. You mentioned R&D guys. I feel like if you had some women in that group, that diversity of thought and experience might get you some results. Right, right. And it's like, am I going to fire the whole R&D team right before Christmas? And the, and the answer is yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, I will. Because, well, frankly, where am I going to find their Christmas bonuses, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll get a, we'll get a better team down there. Yeah, uh, we'll get it done. Their next big idea was leather headphones. But again, I think it's going to be the same issue. Which same is issue, that. for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. This is actually a more serious question. What are your thoughts on over-the-ear headphones? I know they're very popular. You got like sound canceling all this stuff. I think they make my ears very sweaty. I, I absolutely love them <laughs> as I hold up my noise-canceling headphones. Especially because uh, you, Samir, certainly have heard them. And perhaps our listeners have heard them. My upstairs neighbors are very, very loud. <laughs> and Right. That makes sense. <laughs> that is uh, difficult. So yeah, I find I get a lot of utility out of my over-the-ear headphones. I'm told the noise canceling on certain in-ear headphones is getting better and better. Yeah, my, my sister has a pair that I, I've tried before and I was like, this is, it's kind of freaky actually. Yeah, so I mean, that might be something I invest in uh, because I agree it's like over time. Particularly, like I like to take my noise canceling headphones on hikes, but that can get pretty sweaty. Kind of gross. So it would be nice to have some in-ear headphones with noise canceling because uh, people in Southern California do this thing uh, where they'll just listen to music out loud on the hiking trails because they own the airspace because they're terrible. That should, th- th- there should be a rule against that. That's, I mean, that's like, that's like noise pollution. I'm not saying you should be allowed to push them off the mountain, but if you did, you should get lenient sentencing is what I'm saying. So if, like, one good thing that happened to me this week is that I pushed someone off a mountain and I got lenient sentencing. It was a really, That's wow, great. what a transition. I'm surprised they're letting you do this podcast from a holding cell. Yeah, well, you know, that's why that, that was part of the agreement. That was part of the, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, you'll go to jail, but you do still have to record your podcast. This is actually community service. It is. It, is. it, counts. it counts for sure. That is genuinely very exciting. That's a, that's, a, that's a really cool gift. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I, I got in the spirit and hopefully this, well... These people don't listen to this podcast. Anyways, I, I just got in the spirit, so I just bought a bunch of people a bunch of gifts. Also, to be clear, even if they do, this will be published well after Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Surely, but, you know, shipping times around the holidays are interesting. And recently, somebody did something crazy and def- defunded the United States Postal Service. So who knows when they'll get these packages. <laughs> um, 
But eventually they may get a gift because I was just feeling in the mood. As you know, from years of us hanging out, I am the type of gift giver who just like will decide that something is a good gift. And that's when you get it. It has nothing to do with holidays or people's birthdays. I'm just like, ah, I found something. Here you go. So I'm not sure if I picked this up from you or maybe it was I read this somewhere. But one thing I started doing, I think actually in med school was that around gift giving times, I was very bad at coming up with gifts. That whenever I thought of a gift idea for somebody, I would just write it in like an iPhone note. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if this is something you picked up from me, but that is something I do. The two things they do is if I have a good gift idea, I put it in their contact information. And if they ever mention their favorite flavor of cake, I put it in their contact information because that when, when it comes to their birthday and you're like, what the fuck should I get them? People are very impressed when you know their favorite flavor of cake and they don't remember telling you that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It doesn't. I mean, why would you remember that? That's true. Yeah, yeah. I found it very useful. People are like, oh, that's a, that's a really nice gift. And I'm like, aha, yes, because I thought of it uh, eight months ago, yes. randomly. I'm not that good that I thought of it, like, on your birthday. <laughs> that would be crazy. No, no. Sometimes it can. Sometimes you can. I, I do browse a lot of, like, gift-giving guides this time of year. And then I'll just bank ideas for various people in the back of my head, even not necessarily buy them for Christmas and wait till their birthdays. Also, because on a resident salary, there's only so much gift shopping you could really do before it's like, okay. Also fair. Also fair. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I'm gonna buy you this gift, and also I'm not going to eat for the week, but whatever. Right. Worth it. Worth it. Um, no, that, that's, that's cool. That's very cool. So, Samir, now that I've done my one good thing, what's one good thing that's happened to you in the last week or so? Something that happened to me earlier today, which was pretty exciting. I got an email from my institution about getting a COVID vaccine, and that was pretty exciting. Yes. You know, I, that's, I, I was saying to you before the podcast started, it, it is very weird feeling of everybody really trying to get the vaccine and kind of like freaking out about it and, and it feels like some sort of like harry potter release or like a console release except like way more dystopian because we're like desperately trying to get a hold of an important medication and uh but no it's it's, it's exciting i mean i think i think everyone is at least everyone within my circle who are like working in healthcare is very excited because it feels like a, a real step forward toward finally like putting this behind us to an extent Still a long ways to go. You know, this is not, you know, a panacea doesn't sort of totally fix the problem. We still need to socially distance, still need to wear masks, etc. until this is much more under control. But it at least feels like this could end. Yeah, yeah. For the listener's frame of reference, this is a very, I would say, a relatively early time to be receiving a vaccine, all things considered. Right, exactly. So I, I'll mention it when we publish this, but this is, uh, we're recording this December 19th. Yes, so that is, that's important to mention. It's right, right before Christmas. It's definitely still very early. I mean, like in the last week is basically when all the very first people have been getting it in like some of the, I think mean, there have been several nurses in New York who are the first non-trial people to get it. Also important to mention, people are like, oh, I'm like one of the first people to get it. One of the first people outside of a trial to get it. Yeah. There were 43,000 people approximately in these various vaccine trials and literally half of them got the vaccine, right? So that is, and basically everyone was fine. So very well tested. I'm not anywhere near the first person, um, but I feel very confident in it, and I'm, I'm very excited. Um, it's a cool, it's also kind of a cool thing to be excited for. I don't know, there's something, something very weird about it. It feels very, in a particular moment in history, to be like really excited for a vaccine. Right, right. It, it does feel very dystopian. It feels like a thing you would read about in a history textbook. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And so I, I think that is something cool. There there was a weird sense I had a little earlier today as well, which is, I'm not sure we've discussed on the podcast, there's, there's a movie Contagion that came out in 2011, I believe, and it's about a, a global pandemic, one that has a much higher fatality rate than COVID and I'm total, I mean, just completely decimates and shuts down the world. And I watched it back in 2011, and it was a really good movie. I really liked it. I would recommend it. 
I tried rewatching it early in the pandemic. I did not finish it. It was a, I, I kind of got through the first 20 or 25 minutes and I was like, this is a little, <laughs> it kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable. And I was like, I did not watch this movie. But th- there is a part in it toward the end, spoilers, where like a vaccine is coming out. And that is kind of a key, it's sort of a, you know, a key part to like the, the overall arc of the movie. Now, I don't think it really spoils the movie per se. I mean, like, it's, I mean, that's not a surprising. Yeah, point. human society is not wiped out. So yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a spoiler. Human society is not wiped out is the spoiler. But like, it's a, it's a movie that's based on like scientific fact. So like, I, I never thought that human society was going to be wiped out by this virus. Yeah, it's a very experiential movie. It's it like, is. I don't even know if you can spoil it. It's just like, go and watch it. Exactly. Like, yeah, I don't think there's really, it's not like a spoiler because like, it's like, there isn't really like a main character per se. There are like, a, probably like 15 characters you kind of follow throughout the movie. It's like, sure, sure. But one of them is Matt Damon. So arguably. Well, yeah, <laughs> one, one, one could argue, but, no, but exactly. So I, 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 but it's a, I'm reminded of that moment when they're really excited to get it and they're sort of allotting the vaccine. And yeah, it was, uh, it definitely is kind of a cool, weird and like mildly disconcerting moment to be this excited about a vaccine, but it's exciting. One good thing, I think. Yeah, I it, it is. I know it's only been eight months. How long has it been? Eight months, right? Uh, but it, it feels it, it's hard to remember. Nine, nine months. Nine months. It, yeah. it started. It, it started in mid March. Yes, it's hard to remember things being different. You know, it, it, I mean, it's easy to remember, but it's also it just feels so very distant. Uh, the pre-COVID times, and I'm not saying we're anywhere near out of it. But it's nice to feel as though there is a perceivable end to this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the like the canonical like light at the end of the tunnel. Like I feel like I may be seeing that. Right, right. That is a different feeling than I've had earlier in the pandemic. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. exciting. I um, I think both the way, just the way we are. I think both of us have a tendency to be glib about things that are difficult or challenging part of our humor defense mechanism i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) of course and um i think that's very much the pandemic i think we'll often kind of like make sarcastic or snarky comments about it and at the end of the day it's like a really i think for a lot of people i think you can argue the majority of people it's been extremely challenging difficult at least within the u.s itself over 300,000 people have died from it arguably more if you kind of look at excess deaths compared to last year and the years before around the world, obviously even higher numbers. And so, yeah. Um, and of course it's like totally changed the way we like live and act. The idea of getting back to some sense of normalcy, I feel like a thing we've been saying for months, like, Oh, well, when we get back to normal, the idea that that is a thing that could happen feels like a reason for some hope. Yes. Yes. I'll give you a very small microcosm of this. We have a physician gym on campus that has been closed, obviously, since the beginning of uh, the pandemic. And talking to the interviewees, I could say with relative confidence, oh, yeah, this will be open again by the time you guys are here. And that's like, feels like a, a very small victory. But it's something to say that things will be better by the time that they are here, which didn't necessarily feel like a thing a few months back. Unfortunately, we're still in the second surge right now, and this vaccine won't necessarily stop that. So we're still going to see a lot of really, uh, we're still going to see a lot of fatalities secondary to this. Just the nature. I mean, once again, to be clear, this is like the fastest vaccine in like human history by a good margin. Turns out that's what happens when you like throw money at, um, at problems. Like it, uh, yeah, with, with, with enough money, 
uh, and funding and desire to get things done, things can actually get done very quickly. Yes, yes. And once again, I I want to emphasize that, and I think safely too. I, I think they I don't think they cut corners. They just did them faster because they had the money to do them faster. Yeah, you know they they used to say that uh, nine women couldn't make a baby in one month. But uh, nine women with degrees in very advanced PhDs in very advanced biology, they might be able to make a baby in one month. Nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. With with science and money, maybe we could make a baby. In I've one actually month. not heard that phrase, and I really enjoy it. Um, yeah, so I I, I think I, and that's been very cool. So yeah, that's like one good thing. I, I think this is a bit of a different podcast than some of our other ones. There isn't this sort of like obvious specific structural thing we're looking at or or one kind of um, thing that affects wellness. But I think there is something to be said for having a discussion that is maybe a little more hopeful, uh, maybe one that feels kind of holiday appropriate to an extent, especially during a holiday where people may be remote, may not be visiting family. The idea of trying to stay a little more positive and bring that up, I think, is important and valuable. I also feel like important to mention there are several institutions in the, around the country uh, that did not initially include residents or some residents in their first wave of vaccines and kind of limited it to attendings. Several of them have been put on blast on social media, so maybe this stuff will change. But I think I also important them emphasize that is also not appropriate. And regarding resident wellness, good way to make your residents not feel well uh, is tell them to go run into battle without armor uh, now that armor is available or some form of armor is available. I mean, that, that first kind of happened with PPE, and it feels like a repeat of the same thing now with a, with a vaccine. And not a fan. Thumbs down all around. Yes, yes. I have a sense that this take will... This is me being optimistic. Hopefully, this will be a very cold take by the time this podcast comes out. Hopefully, all these institutions will have been put on blast so much that they actually vaccinate their residents. But the fact that they could have asked those residents to die and go into these COVID ICUs, the fact that they used residents as surge staffing and then didn't include the residents in their plans to distribute the vaccine, the fact that they're vaccinating attendings who are sitting at home and have been sitting at home for months is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and it, it, it underlines the exact problems with residency wellness. And it makes me so mad that I'm not cursing right now. And that's how you know I'm actually angry about Yeah, something. no, I, I, I agree. It is one of those things that I think is, I think even if it gets fixed, right, and even if they get the vaccine, and you say that's because of all this pressure, that's good, right? I mean, there's social media in some ways, um, and most ways probably is a horrible plague on society, but there are some benefits to it. Um, I think this is one of them, the ability to hold institutions and corporations' feet to the fire in some cases. The fact that that was not the default choice, that this was sort of approved to be put out there uh, without that consideration, very bad. And really speaks to a gross blind spot um, within the leadership of these places. Right, right. It's, uh, it's kind of like maybe you had a teacher like this who said, like, if you turn in an assignment late... You can only ever possibly get like a C. Like you can't get a grade higher than a C. That's a little harsh when it comes to education. Uh, when it comes to you playing games with your residents' lives, uh, a C might be too high of a grade. If you can only do the right thing after the fact, after everybody says, hey, you fucked up, you still fucked up. And even if you do the right thing, you still fucked up. Right. And to be clear, you should still do the right thing because that's the thing you should do. But that doesn't, yeah, you don't like, you don't get to just get away scot-free with that. I think that should be, people should be aware of that, right? People who are, I'm not saying, I don't think there's any specific reason to name any particular institution because I'm sure this is, I'm sure even if there's only one that's been in particularly going around social media, I'm sure there are others as well. 
I think people should be aware of that. Med students should be aware of that. And when they apply to residencies, I know we're still sort of, we're a captive labor market. There's only so much you can do, but I don't know. If you're looking between two institutions and only one of them really seems to prioritize resident health, safety, wellness, I don't know. I'll leave it to you as, as the listener, what, what you think would be the kind of the reasonable way to reflect that in the, in a, in a rank list, let's say. Yeah, yeah, I think this is one of those few times where you can really objectively see how an institution prioritizes its residents. Like, it, it's very rare that that's actually so an objective thing, such an objective thing. But here it is. Here, this is this is like 100% like how valuable do they think their residents are. And I really hope people see that going forward and understand what that means. I would go further to say that there should be punitive consequences of this, but living in the society that we do live in, I don't imagine there will be. I would go farther to say that, uh, you know, I'm really proud of the institution that I work at, where I've seen many of my friends who are frontline residents have received the vaccination already. I am not a frontline resident, but I am already scheduled. I have a a slot to receive my vaccine. So I've been very proud of my institution for doing that. You know, we don't generally talk about them on this podcast, so I won't go any further than that but it's nice to be part of a place that values it and that's nice on yeah i mean they value my life but it's also nice on sort of a internal level it's nice to know that they care enough yeah it's definitely positively affecting my wellness as well yeah for sure for sure and so i feel like obviously i think our main topic is sort of this one good thing and i realize it's turned into a bit of airing of grievances but i think we do so in the service of not just ourselves because i think actually for us it's actually fortunately not directly applying to us but i think just important to note once again that you know the reason that this podcast and so many things like it exist and have to exist is because of things like this right that things like yoga do not solve the problem if they are institutional and i think sort of an important thing to note yeah yeah it is interesting we did not this episode was not about institutional injustice but institutional injustice at the end of the day it's the end all be all in resident wellness yeah yeah so i I think certainly (laughs) important to mention Obviously, that has taken a bit of a turn. I, I have mildly, mildly accidentally opened a, opened a bit of a Pandora's box, but I think certainly one worth exploring. I will say to kind of bring us back to our, to our original topic, I have found that the one good thing uh, mentality, and I, I don't think I'm necessarily the best about doing it amongst groups of friends um, where I am, but I think when we sort of accidentally fall into it and we start discussing positive things in people's lives, I think there is a bit of a runaway positive cycle where other people start to contribute positive things about their own lives because it feels more appropriate to do so. You never want to be the person being like, oh, yeah, this great thing happened to me when someone else is like, I'm dying. You know, that's not, it's not a good look. And so I think, uh, I think that's really nice. It kind of gives people an avenue to express positivity, even if it doesn't always feel like you can express it. Yes, it's a nice way to introduce low stakes positivity into a conversation, which I think we could definitely use more of in general. We do low stakes negativity naturally. That's a human nature. We can do low stakes negativity all day, all all night. But for positivity, especially for residents, sometimes it takes a little bit more work and it can be difficult because you don't want to be that person who's trivializing the negative things that are going on. But this is a way of just, it's not ignoring that negative things happen. It's just saying that, hey, Good things happen too. Yeah, I think that feels like kind of a good a good overall conclusion. Indeed, I would agree. 
So thank you guys for listening. As always, our theme song is Nothing Slash Anything by Westy Reflector. You can follow us on various social media, including Instagram at MWS Podcast. Uh, we have a website linked on our social media. We are on iTunes along with many other podcasting apps. And of course, we also have an email, session at gmail.com. Feel free to email us uh, either with your thoughts uh, or with some ideas about potential podcast episodes. Ooh, ooh. And email us. What's one good thing that's happened to you? Oh, yeah. I really like that. That would be awesome. Please do that. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Bye.